Good morning, everybody. Um, I want to introduce somebody to you guys real quick. This morning, we have a guest who's going to be uh, preaching God's word for us. His name is Todd Perkins. Um, Todd has a long history here in the Augusta area. Uh, his dad is a local pastor. And uh, so Todd's been been in the Augusta area for a while, but also for the past several years, Todd's been working in the Raleigh-Durham area with a church um, called Vintage, which was sort of a sponsor and mother church for us when we got connected with Acts 29 um, years ago. And so now Todd is in the Greenville area um, and getting ready to plant a church. Todd and I had an opportunity to speak this morning very briefly about um, sort of an area of Greenville that he's targeting and uh, some pretty incredible things. Um, and, and so um, we're excited that Todd can be here. I'm going to pray for Todd real quick, and then uh, and then we'll get going from there. So let's pray. God, thank you for Todd. Thank you for his family, for his wife and kids, and for their commitment to go to Greenville and to honor and serve you by planting a church and leading people who don't know you to Christ. And so, God, we thank you that now, this morning, um, we have the opportunity to hear your word proclaimed through Todd. We pray that you would use him as an instrument of your grace and mercy, as a vessel of your love of the gospel. God, we pray that you would continue to move in our hearts and minds. Thank you for the opportunities we've already had to worship and to hear from you. And God, we pray that that would continue now. Pray that you would be honored and glorified. Pray that Christ would be lifted high that people would be drawn to you. And God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Reggie. Uh, yes, my name is Todd Perkins, and uh, Augusta is sort of my hometown. My parents are here. My brother's here. My sister's here. Their families are here. We come down often. Uh, we've been in Greenville only for about three months or less, and we are just getting kind of to know the terrain and begin to navigate and figure out who these people are, where we need to kind of engage as missionaries so that people who don't know God can come to know God and so that we can encourage and walk with them. This is my wife right here. Brooke, I know you love being put in the spotlight. Raise your hand. She doesn't love being put in the spotlight. That's not her at all. Uh, that's my wife, and our kids are actually because they're with Nana and Papa, right? Nana and Papa, they have friends at the church, so they wanted to go with them this morning. But uh, we've been connected with Jeremy and Reggie for about 10 years. Actually, uh, Luke, who good job leading us in song this morning, my friend. Uh, Luke grew up going to the church that we went to. So this is all like a family reunion for me. I don't know if you know me, but uh, here I am. And I get to be uh, presenting the Word of God to you this morning. It's my hope and prayer that you'll leave today with some burdens lifted and that you'll feel encouraged that Jesus would love you. So we're going to look in the Bible first. Uh, I'll pray and then we'll kind of dig in with a little bit of some conversation about what it looks like uh, to live in light of the text that we're looking at. I'm going to go into Galatians. If you guys know, it's in the New Testament. You go past the Gospels, you start getting into there. Always remember where it is because it's the first of a couple of small books uh, with the acrostic Georgia Electric Power Company. So Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. Okay, that's just me. Sorry, didn't mean there. Uh, Galatians 1. And I'm going to start with verse 3, and we'll go down to verse 10. So Galatians 1, 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 
I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, fill this place. Grant us grace to receive your grace and peace. Help us to see, God, that you are for us, that you love us, and that, God, we can be delivered out of the bondage that comes in turning to false gospels. God, be with us this morning. Let your spirit work in our hearts. We welcome you, we invite you, and we receive this word from you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank everyone that's involved. I've been involved in sort of the church planning world for the last five years. I helped to learn about church planning with a group of people in the Raleigh-Durham area. I helped to plant a church in Durham, and now I'm in the midst of gathering a core team and doing it all over again, helping people come to know Jesus. I know what it takes. If you don't know, it takes work. I'm talking about sweat, blood, tears, work to pull off church gatherings and church leadership. So I want to thank the volunteers that got here early, that cleaned up the snot off the floor, literally, and that, that, that set everything up, that put these chairs in place for you to sit in, that are watching the kids right now. They made the coffee. They picked up donuts. They did all of that for you. And I want to just say right now, I'm thankful that the body of Christ comes around and helps one another out. Because I don't know about you, but I like to feel comfortable. You know what would have been uncomfortable? No signage in the parking area, so I don't know where to go. No one greeting me, so I feel lost when I walk in this building. No one pointing me where the bathroom is, so I have to look awkward walking down these halls. No coffee. That would make me feel uncomfortable. I have to get my own chair and set it up myself. I'll, that would just not make, I would not be comfortable with that. I don't think you would be either. I, I'm a person who enjoys comforts. I, I like to be comfortable. The, the clothes that I picked out this morning, I picked them out because I thought I'll, I'll be comfortable in these clothes. I, I bet you did the same thing. You want to be comfortable and you want other people to be comfortable with you. And you kind of go for comfort. That's, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it's pretty common. We go for things that are comfortable. Wouldn't you agree? I hope so. I think so. You'd agree. There's nothing so uncomfortable as being uncomfortable. I know that's sort of a redundant kind of conclusion, but think about it. When you kind of go into that world of uncomfortable, I'm talking about there can be a pebble in your shoe, and it can begin to ruin your life. You know what I mean? Like you begin to just kind of go like, I don't know if I can make it anymore because I am uncomfortable in this one place. I'm constantly maneuvering and making decisions so that things will work out in terms of comfort. But what I'm also learning is that underneath that and behind that, God is working, allowing discomforts to come into my life so that I can discover more about who he is. 
And that's been a process for me over the last couple of years. When I went to the church in Raleigh, it's called Vintage 21 Church, which had some connection with Jeremy and helping to launch here at Redemption. When, when I went to that church, I found some really comfortable people. These were people that, that acted like me. They dressed like me. They liked the things that I like. I remember leaving Augusta, where at the time no one even knew what Twitter was, and going to Raleigh, and everybody was using Twitter, and I thought, finally, I've found my people. I'm much more comfortable because now I, they, they're using technology in a way that kind of makes sense, and that resonated as comfort for me. These people, we connected relationally very well. Theologically, they led me into beautiful places where I began to really just feel comfortable, and we began to, begin to put roots down in this city and to connect with people, and we were, just, we were in a place of deep comfort. But then God did something that I did not know the ramifications would come. He, he did something that I had been longing for all along. I've been desiring. I want to plant a church. I want to help plant a church. And God called me to plant a church out of that place of comfort into a place where I had none of those things that were resonating in my heart as comfortable. When we moved from the Durham area where we had established a church and built community and gotten to know people and felt very comfortable, we went to a city that we did not know with friends that we could not, we did not have any friends. We had no one pouring into us. We had no, that we didn't even know where the gas stations were or which grocery stores were the right grocery stores to go to or where we would be able to find the things that we needed. And our loss of comfort threw me into dismay because I had put a lot of hope and a lot of peace in external experiences rather than my relationship with God, rather than Jesus. What I began to realize was that, you know, the whole talk, Jesus is enough, all I need is Jesus, that, that really wasn't going on. I, if you ever meet someone that says, all I need is Jesus, they're lying, it's not true. They want clothes and food and houses and friends and money. They want those things. And I began to realize, man, I can't make this claim that all I need is Jesus because it's obvi- obviously my heart is really towards these other things. And when these other things have been taken away out of my life, man, I, I begin to suffer. I begin to go into to fear and anxiety, even depression. You can talk to Brooke. You can talk to my wife. She's right there with me. We, we went through darkness because we had placed our hope and our peace in comforts rather than Christ. And it's just now in the last couple of weeks that, that because of a weaning away, really a ripping away from certain comforts, we've began to root ourselves in Jesus to such a degree that I'm, I'm getting closer to being more satisfied with Jesus than other things, but I don't know if I'll ever make it. I don't know if I'll ever be completely free from the desire to have jeans that fit and don't look ridiculous. And by ridiculous, I mean tight because I'm not into skinny jeans because that doesn't make me feel comfortable. Thank you. Somebody finally chuckled just a tiny bit. You guys are not laughing at anything this morning. All right. The point I'm trying to make is that we as humans, people, we look for comfort in a thousand other things than Jesus. It's just the way we live. We tend to want to find that thing that will make us happy. And every one of us, in multiple ways, 
are looking for something right now in our lives to make us happy, to make us feel comfortable, to give us peace. And there's this thing in your head, and you kind of kind of go, well, no, well, I know it's not really going to give me peace. But the other part of your head goes like this, oh, it's going to really give me peace. I remember this happening as a kid where I believed that if I would just get that particular toy, for me it was G.I. Joe, you know, once I finally got snake eyes, everything in life would be all right, right? And then I got snake eyes, and everything was good for a little while. But then it was like, how can I have snake eyes without storm shadow? I really, once I have storm shadow, the collection of ninjas is complete. And then I'll be happy with my life. And then I'd get storm shadow. And guess what? It would only last a little while. And that would happen as I grew up. It it has never stopped happening. Once I graduate high school, then I'll feel better. Once I I graduate college, then I'll I'll be legit. Once I get married, that'll bring things into my life. And I'm not saying any these things are just completely thrown away, no good. Marriage is a good. No, I'm not saying that. They're beautiful, good, healthy things. You should graduate. You should get those things. But those things aren't going to resonate with satisfaction, with peace, with joy, but we think that they will. We functionally operate. We can say, all I need is Jesus. We can check that box theologically. We can believe it because that's what we do. We're in the South. We're in the Bible Belt. We love Jesus. Yes, we do. We love Jesus. How about you? That's us. But functionally, we don't find satisfaction in Christ alone. We might sing it, but we don't live that way. Because we're constantly looking for a thousand other things to satisfy us rather than Jesus. Man, get a spouse, get married, buy a house, get new iPhones, pursue those things that you feel like you should pursue. But let me give you a fair warning. None of those things are designed to satisfy your soul. Having more money won't make you happy. Jim Carrey, he's got some money, right? He recently said, I wish everybody had millions of dollars so they'd realize it doesn't help. It's not going to help you no matter what you think. I'll pursue this. This will fix things. If my spouse would just behave better, then things would be better. If my kids just didn't act the way they acted, then my life would be okay. If I could just finally move into this better position of life, everything's going to be better. Not forever. Because your hope Your heart is not designed to hope in those things. It's designed to find its satisfaction in Jesus. And we're looking for a Savior in every place but the cross. That's our tendency. That is a good definition for idolatry. It's looking for something else to satisfy us. To something lesser, less than God. It can't satisfy us, but we desire that it will satisfy us. That's what idolatry is about. Martin Luther, the reformer, said, I think it was John Calvin, same kind of neck of the woods group of folks reforming the church. He said this, the heart is an idle factory. We're constantly pumping out new things. And if you you can't think of the thing that you think is you're trying to make you happy right now, just talk to your spouse or someone that knows you well. Ask them, what, am I, what do I think is going to make me happy? And they'll just tell you. They'll be like, well, you think if you get a promotion, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to work out. It's going to be better. You're putting hope in things rather than Jesus. And that's called idolatry. The reason I bring this up is because I want you to just have a red flag and be aware that 
the more and as you let those things captivate your heart, believing that those things will save, believing that those things will will satisfy your soul, you're on a path to utter disappointment. They will leave you bankrupt. They will leave you wanting. They will actually destroy you. You cannot find an end to the desires of your heart until you look and rest in Jesus. That is the way you were wired. And it's universal. We're, we're all in the same boat. Our hearts are idle factories constantly looking for that next thing to satisfy us and bring us peace. But God has provided that for us in Christ alone. And until we quit the constant craving and constant looking, and it is a battle. You are not going to shut this off in one day. You are going to have to fight with Christ, with grace, to realize none of this matters. Only Jesus matters. I think Paul figured this out. And I think that's why in his letters, he likes to start with grace and peace. If you notice other of Paul's books, others' writings, he's saying grace and peace to you. It's a, it's a good greeting for him because it captures a theological truth that Paul knows is necessary for us to make progress out of this idle, factory-driven lifestyle. He's trying to help us realize that, you know what, the one thing that we need and need to be reminded of is that God's response to us is not disappointment and frustration, but grace and peace. I asked my daughter yesterday, I said, Kaylin, what does God think about you? And at first she gave me the right answer, Sunday school answer. He loves me. She's a preacher's kid. She knows the right answer. I said, yeah, he does love you. That's, that's 100% true, but I'm, I want to know something. What, what do you think... God thinks about you right now. Does, what does God think about you? And she said, he's disappointed. You know why she said that? Because that's how we all feel. We feel like if God were to look at us and do an evaluation, he would be like, I can't believe it. You're always looking for the wrong things to make you happy. Beautiful moment when I asked that of my daughter because I got to tell her the good news of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel is good news for us that we need to be reminded over and over again. God isn't looking at us and saying, I'm disappointed in you. You disappoint me. He's looking and saying, I have grace for you. I have mercy for you. I have great love for you. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I've moved heaven and earth to provide the very thing that you need so that rather than feeling condemnation, you can feel liberty. You can feel freedom. And you can know that I am not disappointed. I look at you with favor because of my son Jesus and what he's done for you. Quick definitions. What is grace? This is just my thinking. Grace is the good news that God's not holding anything against you, but providing everything for you. It's the unconditional and unstoppable love of God pointed directly to the undeserving. God loves you. 
And there are no strings, no conditions for his love. He is for you. And Paul says, grace to you. Remember, God is not against. He is for you. He loves you. What is peace then? I think peace is tied to grace. Peace is the residual effect of knowing that you no longer have to fear for lack of forgiveness. You no longer have to worry about judgment. You no longer have to strive performing and achieving and attaining success. Because everything you hope and long for is already yours in Christ. And when you realize that Jesus has provided everything you need to be right with God, and none of the things that you think you have to accomplish have to be on your to-do list to earn God's favor, you take a breath of fresh air. Be liberated from the idea that more performance earns you more favor. That's not the way God works. God does not look at you the way we look at one another, because the way we look at one another is conditional love. I, I know you want to say, no, I'm better than that. No, really, it's pretty much this way. If people are nice to you, you're nice to them. If they help you out, you help them out. You know why you're really good friends with the person you're really good friends with? Because they're really good friends with you. You're not really good friends with your enemies. Why? Well, they're your enemies. You don't respond to them unconditional love. You respond to them Conditional. If you're nice to me, I'm nice to you. To the measure that you are nice to me, I'll match that niceness and maybe try to outdo it so that we can have this fun little game where we're blessing one another a little bit each week and it's nice and we're all... God doesn't function that way. He doesn't look at you and say, good job reading the Bible this week. I'm going to give you a little bit extra love. Hey, you prayed. You got up early and prayed. I love you a little bit more. God doesn't function that way. He doesn't look at your work, even your works of righteousness, where you're trying to attain and perform so that God will like you. God says, yeah, that's a mess. You know why you're operating? Because you think you can earn my favor by doing this. I've got to cover your righteous deeds with my grace. There's only one person who lived perfectly, and he did it on your behalf. It's Jesus He lived a righteous life. He was sin-free. He obeyed where we constantly disobey. He lived a generous life. He gave of himself while we continue to covet and practice materialism. I counted the other day. In our house, we have 59 pairs of shoes. 59 pairs of shoes. And we have requests pending for shoe shopping. I've got three daughters, all right? We're materialists because we believe if we can get those pair of shoes, we'll be happy. And they make us happy for about, what, a week, two? And then we're like, I need new shoes. We're constantly looking for things. Jesus wasn't. He gave of himself. He offers a wise life. He is the truth. And the honest truth is we don't really know anything without access to Google That was a joke. You can laugh. A sacrificial life. This is Jesus. He gave himself up so we can know the Father. But do do we live sacrificially? Nah. We live for us. Pursuing our comforts. An approved life. He deserves honor. I deserve judgment. But God doesn't respond to us with judgment. 
responds to us with radical grace. If you've got a Bible and you want to look with me, I'm going to run over to Romans 5 and read something for you. It's about how God responds to us. Romans 5, 6 through 11, it says this. For while we were still weak, parenthetical thought about our weakness right there. I'm saying pathetic train wrecks, rebels, losers, liars, fakers, posers, self-righteous people. While we were that... At the right time, Christ died for us, the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, losers, train wrecks, liars, coveters, materialists, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? God's not mad with us. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, it is finished. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Good news! God loves you. Quit trying to figure all this out and attain all this stuff and work hard so that you can get God's love. It's already there. There's a banquet set before you where God says, come to this table called me, called Christ, and enjoy me because I enjoy you. I love you. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to volunteer. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray. I'm not saying there are not benefits in those things. I'm not saying those things are bad things and we shouldn't do them. I'm saying that those things are not paths to what God has already secured for us in Christ, which is his great love for you. God loves you. It's radical love. It's love fueled with grace and peace. Let's get back over to Galatians. What does he say? Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. What has God done? He's responded to us with Jesus. And he sent his son to the cross to die in your place. The judgment that you and my daughter feels like she deserves was poured out on Christ on the cross. And you no longer have to fear punishment because that punishment is completed in Christ. And you, if you are in Christ, then you are covered by his blood and freed, liberated from the bondage of the judgment that you fear. Do not fear anymore. Rest in God's unchanging grace, his unconditional love for you. Rest in it. Enjoy it. Theologian, pastor, author John Piper sums up this little passage that I just read, verses 3 through 6. He says, what does this look like? It looks like this. Uh, We get grace and God gets glory. 
That's the effect and result of the gospel. God gets glory. We're amazed that God would love us and forgive us and pardon us, bring us into his family and not put obligations on top of us, but freely pour out grace. We get grace. God gets glory. That's what's going on in the good news of the gospel. And that's what we need to remember Now, this is why, if this is true, if God loves us so much that he responds to us with unconditional love and grace, he loves you, he frees you, you don't have to earn anything with him, you can just pursue life without fear of failure because the judgments that you're fearing from God and from other people don't matter because God already puts his stamp of approval on you and says, I love you forever and ever and ever. If you believe that, if that's in your heart and you get it, then it makes perfect sense that Paul, who also believes it, and who's admonishing the church in Galatia to believe it, says, I am astonished. My mind is blown that you're deserting this good news and pursuing some false good news. That's exactly what he says, right? Verse 6, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Then he does a little quick commentary. Now that there is another gospel, if anyone's preaching a false gospel, he should be cursed. What's going on here? We, like I said at the beginning, in our pursuit of comfort, in our pursuit of peace, we develop false gospels. We look for something to satisfy our hearts. And rather than turning to Jesus, who provides everything that we need, we believe we'll find that in all sorts of things, all sorts of broken things. Churches can produce this. Churches can produce a false gospel. I don't believe this church produces a false gospel. I have a lot of confidence in my brother Jeremy, and I would say I would sit under his pastoral leadership if I was in Augusta. I believe you're at a really good church, but I believe that there are a lot of popular churches not just in Augusta, in Greenville, and all over the South, all over the nation, that will pass gospel teaching that isn't gospel teaching. Churches have a tendency to, rather than liberate captives, which is the mission of Jesus, they'll add burden and say, you have to walk through these steps, you have to attain all this process to get God's favor. They'll do it subtly. They'll do it by telling you, you've got to do more. You've got to try harder. You're not choosing right. They, they use the Bible as sort of a, a, a self-help manual, picking out stories of Scripture rather than pointing you to Jesus in those stories, saying, like, you should have the faith of David and you can slay your giant. You can't, that's not what that story is about. You know what that story is about? It's about God saving Israel and using a man, David, to accomplish it. It's not about you gaining the faith of David so that you can slay a giant. Christ has accomplished all. It's his good news that liberates our hearts and frees us from the desire and the effort and the constant striving and work to accomplish more. We don't have to. He's accomplished it all. What more do we have to do? We constantly look for idols, for false gospels, And sometimes the church can produce them for us. Culture, the world we live in, 
the multiple screens that your eyes engage in, your phone, your iPad, your laptop, the TV, it's constantly informing you that you don't have X, and if you would just get X, then your life would be better. That is the fundamental concept and philosophy behind all the advertisement that you see all the time. You don't have this product, and because you don't have this product, you're insufficient. But if you would get this product, your life would radically change and you would be happy. That's all advertising. That's what they're doing. They're offering you a false savior. I'm not saying that all advertising is bad. I'm just trying to help you see that our culture will move us into a mindset that says, I have to get more rather than what rest in what I've already been given. And if we're not careful, as people, we'll buy into that lie and run it down, constantly getting more and more and more. 59 pairs of shoes, it's just not enough. So churches can do this, cultures can do this, but I think more than church and culture, we can point the finger and we can blame them. Really, if we want to point somewhere, we have to look at our own hearts and recognize something that we're guilty of doing this most of all. We do it the most. You know who the most influential person in your life is? It's you. You know why? Because you talk to yourself more than anybody else. It's always going on in your head. And most of the time, rather than telling yourself what you need to be thinking, you're listening to yourself and just going along with whatever's in your head. And you know why that's dangerous? Because you'll be watching TV and it'll be like, proactive, the new, and you'll be like, I need some proactive. That's where our mind goes. We just buy into the invite that you're insufficient, you're incomplete, you need more, rather than resting in the fact that everything I need is already rooted in Jesus and this great tendency of my heart to pursue something else could be satisfied already if I just remember what Jesus thinks of me. He loves me. He forgives me. He counts me as part of his family. I'm justified before him. My sins are atoned for. I'm brought into reconciliation already. I don't have to justify myself with another project, another milestone. God's shown us grace. He forgives you. He loves you. He invites you into his peace. He invites you into his joy. He invites you into his rest. And he says to you, it is finished. The good news of the gospel that Paul's proclaiming in this passage that that causes him to lead with grace and peace, that good news is rooted in the work of Christ, where his sacrificial death takes losers like you and me, broken people like you and me, wandering minds like you and me, and makes us part of a redeemed family, a forgiven family, a family where we belong, where we're taken care of, where we're blessed in Christ and loved. God's grace clears me of the burden of figuring out all my fraudulent ways, because there are a lot of them, and delivers me out of all my self-salvation projects, because i got a ton of them. I don't have to do more things to make God love me because he already does. Now this, this liberates my heart from putting hope in the wrong place. It does not mean I never have to try to do anything again. I, I think I should try to be a better dad. 
I, I should try. It's a good thing to kind of evaluate my life and say, you know what? I'm not spending enough time with my kids, and I, I think I should do that a little bit better. Wife, help me figure out a way to work my schedule and love my kids more. That, that's great. But my hope for my life isn't in my management of my time and being a better lover of my children. I, I won't be validated more before God because I'm doing a better job. Even in my efforts to do a better job, I have brokenness. Do you see where this is going? Alignment. I don't have to know the right people. I don't have to be counted in the right circle of friends because I'm already counted in a circle that's the right circle. It's Jesus. So it doesn't matter if I get in with this group or if I find favor with these people because my identity isn't rooted in what crowd I'm hanging with. It's rooted in Christ. I don't have to publicly boast and make sure that my Facebook gets enough likes when I post something because I don't need a bunch of likes from other people to validate who I am because God's already pressed the like button and he loves me. And that's more important. God's love for me is more important than a bunch of Facebook likes, likes, right? Or retweets or whatever it is we do. We don't need that type of public affirmation because we're getting it from Jesus. You don't have to impress everyone and please everyone because if we're honest, we can't do that anyway because Jesus is offering to our hearts rest in knowing that his work is impressive enough. The invite for Paul is to rest in the grace and peace offered to us through Jesus Christ, who's delivered us out of this present darkness of our own doing, of the pursuit of anything other than him to satisfy our soul. Friends, nothing in this life will satisfy your soul. It wasn't designed to. Christ offers you everything you need in himself. And when you come to know the love of God offered to you through the sacrificial death of Jesus, you can rest and be liberated from the brokenness of this world. I've got one last passage of scripture I want to read. It's fast becoming a favorite of mine. It's Jesus. He came to the temple and he's going to teach. This is in Luke 4:17. And the scroll of the prophet was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the good news. Jesus proclaims good news to the poor, to the needy. That's me. He proclaims liberty to the captives. I'm captivated by the wrong things, and God offers me liberty. He offers recovery of sight to the blind. I am so blind, I don't see what I need to see, and Jesus is going to recover my sight. He's going to set at liberty the oppressed and proclaim 
to me that this now is the year of the Lord's favor. He loves us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that the magnitude of your grace and peace would hit us like a ton of bricks. And God, that we would see that we have put hope in so many broken things that could never take your place. God, that we could realize that your unconditional love flows freely to us and that we don't have to earn or strive after or achieve or pay back you because, God, you love us. God, let those words, let grace and peace flow to our hearts because of the good work of Jesus who loves us and gave himself for us. In Jesus' name, amen.